Welcome to Our Shoreline, Your Horizon, a podcast by Dan Casey, featuring business and economic development news from St. Clair County, Michigan. Stretch your horizons in the beautiful shoreline communities of St. Clair County, home to one of the nation's busiest international border crossings. Learn more at edascc.com. Hello, I'm Dan Casey with the Economic Development Alliance of St. Clair County, Michigan. And thank you for tuning in to the EDA's Our Shoreline, Your Horizon podcast. Today, I'd like to welcome Andrew Kircher, who is the Manager of Community Engagement at the Port Huron Museum. Welcome, Andrew, and thanks for joining me today. Well, thank you so much for having me. So, Andrew, if we were to ask people, what's the benefit of having a museum in your community? I bet that you would share several great reasons. Today, we're excited to talk about some of those reasons, including, of course, the economic benefits. So first, would you uh, tell us a little about yourself and your passion for history and uh, how that led you to this career in St. Clair County? Yeah, absolutely. So St. Clair County is actually a home for me. Uh, I was born and raised here in uh, Port Huron. I was very fortunate. I was quite close with my grandparents. My grandfather, I always cite as my inspiration to get into the world of history. He collected old cars and old stuff, anything old. He, he, he kept it around. So growing up around all of that, always had this passion for history. And you know, I, I did the typical go off to college. I did my undergrad at Albion and uh, then looked for something to do. And I wound up with a summer job up in Mackinac, where I wound up working for Mackinac State Historic Parks. So I was one of the interpreters there. It combined a few of my loves, uh, getting to talk about history. I was one of those people who, uh, you know, dresses in the red coat uniform, firing muskets and cannons and getting to talk to hundreds of thousands of people about history every summer. So I got oh. to do all of these things, get to wear funny clothes, shoot guns, talk about history, and they paid me for it. It was wonderful. But uh, I did that for uh, close to a decade, working at, at museums, and I would then do outreach programs around the state. And it was actually kind of a very long, cold winter when you have to find alternate work. I wound up working at the Grand Hotel by myself as a security guard. I, I kind of lived the movie The Shining. And at that point, I said, I'm going to go back to grad school. I'm going to find a museum that's open year round. And I did that, wound up in Dearborn for a few years, uh, and Dearborn was, was pretty big. It was nice, a good experience. But when an opportunity opened up back here in Port Huron, my hometown where all my folks were still from, and I said, I can move back home. I can share the story of the place where I grew up with others visiting from all over uh, the world. I was going to jump on it. And uh, so that brought me back here in 2019. Wow. So that opens up a, a lot of questions for me, everything from the historic reenactments to coming back home again. And, you know, this is a historic place with the old fort that used to be here many, many, many years ago. And I always tell people, this is a historic town. So we have a lot to share with people through our museums. And from your perspective, could you share with us some of the benefits that you think that museums bring to a community? Yeah, I think one of the best benefits from museums is one of those ones that uh, I know talking with someone from uh, an economic development alliance, you're all about quantifying things. And, you know, this is one of those ones that probably would be really tricky, but it's a, a sense of placemaking. It makes a place unique. You know, why is Port Huron different? And I would argue better than so many other places because of some of these unique uh, things we have. We have, you know, four sites with the Port Huron Museums. We have the Knowlton Museum, the Ice Museum. We have a couple museums over at SC4. That's incredible when you think about it. You're like seven, eight, cultural institutions in a town of less than 30,000 people. That's amazing. And that's what makes a place like ours so unique. I mean, sure, you can measure 
pure, you know, economic, you know, dollars and cents with something like I think about people who go down to, you know, Hall Road and do their shopping. But when you go to a store and it's a, you know, Home Depot next to a Lowe's, next to an Applebee's, next to an IHOP, and it's the same there as it would be in Des Moines, as it would be in Sacramento, it's those unique things, the, an area's history that really makes a place, uh, someplace where people want to live and work and play and visit. Uh, so I think the museums can really do that um, as one of those big benefits. Uh, another benefit that, that I see as somebody who works in the museum field, let me tell you, if you get into the museum field, it's not because you have a lust for money and power. Uh, you are doing it because you're passionate about it. Uh, and I think that museums can be a steward of an area's shared cultural heritage. So that's something that if you're a community that has one of those museums that can work in that way to preserve an area's history, not only preserve it, but share it with others. Ultimately, what we view museums as, or what I view museums as, certainly, we're a storyteller. We have the stories of this area and we share them. And sure, we have the artifacts. Those are great. Those are useful tools for telling a story. It's great if you can have you know, some of the type that Thomas Edison was using when he was a, a young boy living here. And you can point to that type and be like, Thomas Edison held this. And that's amazing. It would be almost as amazing just to be able to have the story and then those artifacts come in to help you tell that uh, as kind of an aid. So being able to preserve our shared cultural heritage like that is, I think, a boon for any community that's lucky enough to have a museum. Yeah. And when you have a shared historical community and assets, it helps you to stand apart from other communities, right? And so we're very fortunate to have that here. As you said, you know, you can go to the suburbs and they probably don't have a museum, right? So they're going to somebody else's downtown if they want to visit a museum or to Detroit. Um, so we're very fortunate to have the assets that we have here. And speaking of which, due to a grant and some corporate sponsorship that we've received here in the community, all Port Huron museum sites are free to attend this year. So Tell us more about that, and, and are you seeing an increase in visitors or families as a result? This has been a record-breaking year for us. We, we have seen more people at our site so far in this season alone than we have in all of last year. It's pretty amazing the number of people who are coming through. And, it, you know, it tells me a few different things. Um, you know, one, it tells us that there may have been kind of an economic barrier, and we are a 501c3. Uh, so a lot of people uh, might not know that. Though some people think that, oh, well, we're part of the city or their tax dollars go. And it's eh, not really. No, we're, we're a 501c3. If that's uh, one of the reasons you know, we were forced to close during the pandemic when we couldn't be open, well, no money going in means no paychecks going out. So um, we rely on visitation, people shopping at our museum stores, and of course, donations to keep uh, the doors open. So seeing all of these people, getting this opportunity to be able to take away that barrier of uh, that small admission charge that we've had, uh, has been great. I think it also has worked wonders for advertising. Boy, it sure is easy to sell something when it's free. You know, getting that word out, being able to tell people, come on in, see these sites that we have to offer. And it's been great not only to bring in locals, but people from around the thumb and around the country, really. Uh, so those record-breaking numbers are uh, just, just testament to how much people do enjoy museums. They enjoy visiting them and uh, what wonderful sites they are. So we have these four different uh, museum sites that we talked about earlier. What are some of the most unique things, in your opinion, that we have available for people to look at within these museums? Yeah, so a lot of people uh, also might not realize the sites that we have and, and how they kind of relate to each other. So Port Huron Museums is an umbrella organization. As I mentioned, we are 501c3, and we have these four kind of distinct sites, but we're, we all share a staff. We all kind of work at all of them. 
uh, perhaps the one that most people think of, if you ask the regular person you know, on Huron Avenue, wh- where's the Port Huron Museum? They'd probably tell you to go to Sixth and Wall. And that's the site of the Carnegie. So the Carnegie is, the, of course, the old Carnegie Library prior to 1968. It was the city's library. It goes back to 1904 and, of course, paid for by Andrew Carnegie, the famed uh, entrepreneur, philanthropist. He paid $40,000 for that building 120 years ago. So that's a lot of money. I'd take $40,000 right now, let alone uh, at that time. But that's where we have kind of our, our, our traveling exhibits right now. We have Discovery City, which is a, a featured exhibit for kind of chill, aimed at, at children, the under eight crowd. Uh, we have permanent displays, some that rotate our maritime collection, a very traditional museum that I think a lot of communities have something like it in one form or another in various sizes. I, of course, have seen some like Grand Rapids takes up, you know, a whole city block. I've seen others that uh, uh, will remain unnamed, but I have honestly seen a history closet. It was a, a large city in Metro Detroit, and they said, this is our closet with the city's history in it. But the other sites, the satellite sites, are what are really fun in summer. Those, so they open in, in spring, you know, go into fall, but from Memorial Day to Labor Day especially, we're open seven days a week from 10 to 5 at all of our sites. And that's really when we're, that's our bread and butter. And of course, if you, you kind of take them, they're all very close. You could walk to them in, you know, 15, 20 minutes. You start out at the Huron Lightship. So that's right there at the north part of Pine Grove Park at the end of Prospect Place. It's now, you know, permanently dry docked. We, of course, had a little bit of fun with that in 2020 with the high water level trying to take it back out to sea. But it's completely repaired. It's all open. This was the last lightship operating on the Great Lakes as late as 1970. And it's a national historic landmark. It's one of the only lightships you can tour on the Great Lakes and one of the only ones in the whole country. Uh, it's a very unique spot to be able to get to tour that floating lighthouse um, that's, that's dry docked there. And a little bit further north than that, you, of course, come to the Thomas Edison Depot. I, of course, alluded to him a little bit earlier, Port Huron's favorite son. You're not going to talk about Port Huron history without mentioning Thomas Edison. That is the depot where he worked as a teenager, which is really cool. Uh, the building, even without an association to Thomas Edison, would be cool on its own. It's an 1850s train station. Talks a lot about our transportation heritage in this area. We all think about the water with the name Port Huron. But I think there's an argument to be made that rail might have been more important to our area than, than water transit with the yeah. tunnel and even the rail connections today. So, But you throw in the fact that not only is it an old train station, but it's the train station where Thomas Edison worked um, as a teenager, and it's an amazing spot to tell his story. And it makes it real, too. Yeah, absolutely. Those, you know this that he's walking through those doors. This is a real building, and Thomas Edison was a real person who actually worked on his train and I know he, one of his first businesses, probably his first business, was selling newspapers. Yeah, he's a, a news butcher. So he's selling newspapers, gum, candy, nuts, anything he thinks he can make a little bit of money with on that uh, daily train that's going back and forth from Port Huron uh, to Detroit. So. so how old would he have been when he's selling these things on that train? He's a young teenager. So this is during the Civil War, um, so like 1861, 1862. So he is like 13, 14 years old. Very, very young kid. Um, younger than I think we're used to kids working today, but it really shows you not only was uh, Edison an inventive genius, he's an entrepreneurial genius. He's also always looking for a way to make a buck. So So that would be one of the fun things to do is to go see the train depot where he used to work and to learn about that story. Because I think a lot of our young kids today, probably they, they all have heard the name Thomas Edison. They don't really know much about him, I would guess. That would certainly fill in a lot of blanks for them. But what are some other similar kinds of fun things that you have available for people at some of the museums? Yeah. So um, the kind of last site is actually a great one for families, the Fort Gratiot Light Station. So 
We run the Fort Gratiot Light Station in conjunction with St. Clair County Parks. And uh, there's another group, the Friends of the Fort Gratiot Light, who do a lot of fundraising. But everyone loves climbing the lighthouse. You know, you get the stickers at the end. You get to climb the tower, take the 94 steps up to the top and have this beautiful view. But there's almost always some kind of event cooking at one of our sites. And frequently, the light station is one of the most popular places to hold them. There's a lot of room there. Everything from we've had Sturgeon Fest already this year in June. But if we're looking forward, we've got things like a powwow coming up. We have a Fort Gratiot Heritage Day. We have Fourth at the Fort. We're going to have free pony rides on the 4th of July at the light station. Who doesn't want to do that, right? I want to go and do that. Uh, the pony might not appreciate it, but uh, I think that's going to be some of the really kind of fun things that you can do uh, at any of our sites. Uh, is not only can you tour them on the average day, but in summer especially, we have so many of these programs and events going on that are, that are kind of special. And this year is free, so exactly. all, all, all the better. What is it that gets you out of bed every day and gets you fired up? about this job? Well, it's getting to share you know, my passion uh, with others. Obviously, I love history. I think it's important to study the past. You don't know where you're going to go if you can't see where you've been. You know, it's kind of almost cliche to say it at a certain point to say like, well, you got you to gotta know where you're from. But I think that sense of place, that sense of uh, where you are and, and how places can be unique comes from that history. And so it's an important thing to study. And like I said, Something that, that fires me up. I just like old things. I like knowing the way things were done in the past and then getting to share that with others. Uh, and for generations yet unborn, um, you know, there's uh, museums. We are, view ourselves as stewards. That collection we have is not necessarily our collection. It's a collection that belongs to the whole community. And again, we're thinking about a community, people who haven't even been born yet. What about people who are going to call Port Huron home 250, 500 years from now? What, what can we save from the past? And what stories can we push forward into the future? What lessons can we try and teach those people? Yeah, well, that's a great way to wrap up the show. Thanks for joining me today and talking about the museum and the role it plays in the community. Obviously, it, it plays a very important role. Also, EDA is thankful to have your passion and drive behind preserving and sharing our local culture. Someone needs to do that. We're very fortunate to have an expert like you. Well, thank you so much. It's very kind. And with that, I'm Dan Casey with the EDA of St. Clair County, and I hope you'll join me again for the next podcast on Our Shoreline, Your Horizon. Take care. Thanks for listening. To hear more, visit the podcast page at WGRT.com or find Our Shoreline, Your Horizon on your favorite podcast app.